0: Have reached our cruising altitude, it's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Fly Overview, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts, and a look at Heartland News from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith, joined by my co-host, Sean Diller. Sean, you ready to start this show? Is Congresswoman Lauren Boebert ready to hook you up with some equine dewormer? <laughs> Damn it, Sean. You're supposed to do something topical. Please tell me Ivermectin's not back in the news. Always. <laughs> Ivermectin <laughs> damn near killed him. <laughs> damn it, Sean. All right, folks, let's start the show. Businesses could face 136000 in fines for violating Biden requirement. Private businesses could face thousands of dollars in fines if they fail to properly comply with the Biden administration's requirement that employees get vaccinated or be tested weekly and wear masks. Under the
1: Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA's Emergency Temporary Standard, issued Thursday, businesses with at least 100 employees can choose to require their employees all be vaccinated against COVID-19 or remain unvaccinated, undergo weekly testing, and wear a mask. The responsibility for enforcing the standard falls on businesses, and Department of Labor officials said they'll be investigating claims and potentially doing program
0: checks to ensure compliance. The failure to comply could find the business on the receiving end of a nearly $14,000 fine for a first-time or non-serious violation. A more serious breach could prompt the issuance of up to a $136,000 fine for a willful violation. 17 million employees at healthcare facilities that receive federal funding from Medicare or Medicaid will not have the testing option, and will be required to become vaccinated. Secretary
1: of Labor Marty Walsh told reporters on Thursday, we have to do what's right for our workforce. Officials estimate the requirement could prevent 250,000 hospitalizations due to COVID-19. The Department of Labor didn't seem concerned about enforcing the Biden administration's vaccine or testing policy. Deputy Assistant Secretary of Labor for OSHA Jim Frederick told reporters, the department has a long history of
0: enforcing standards and that this is no different than any other. Yeah, I think it's definitely important that this gets framed exactly what it is. This is just simple standard regulation through OSHA, through the Department of Labor. People have a right to be employed at locations where employees are safe.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is not new also, even when it comes to vaccinations, So anyone who's worked in the service industry has probably been the subject of a requirement to maybe have a vaccine against hepatitis A or hepatitis B. It's also not Unheard of for people in a healthcare setting to have to have a flu shot every single year or undergo testing or other pain in the butt measures to keep their coworkers and patients from getting the flu because they didn't get a flu shot. So this is what we do. Democrats race to unite their caucus. On Thursday, House Democrats worked toward holding a vote soon on a $1.75 trillion plan to overhaul the nation's health care, education, climate, and tax laws, seeking to put an end to months of arduous political wrangling over President Biden's economic agenda. By early Thursday evening, though, House Democratic leaders still did not appear to have the votes necessary to quickly adopt the signature spending package by day's end, as they had hoped. Some lawmakers remained uncomfortable with the bill over the way it handles certain policy issues, including immigration. Other moderates, meanwhile, requested more time to study its budgetary impact and address potential
0: roadblocks that the bill might later encounter in the Senate. One continuing skirmish is over a proposal to provide paid family and medical leave to millions of Americans who would otherwise not have it. The proposal is one mansion has sought to remove from the package, putting the House on a collision course with the Senate. Nancy Pelosi appeared circumspect in addressing the matter Thursday, telling reporters, quote, I think this is appropriate legislation. Another
1: conflict among Democrats is over a plan to lift a cap on the state and local tax deduction. Democrats representing high-tax cities and states, including California and New Jersey, have pushed most for the policy, troubling other party lawmakers who see it as a
0: tax cut that chiefly would benefit the wealthy. Resolving these and other policy fights is critical, since any delay in bringing the measures before the House would further stall a second, separate effort to improve the nation's roads, bridges, pipes, ports, and internet connections. The $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill has been stuck in the House since it passed the Senate in August, as liberals have held up its adoption while they seek to negotiate the $1.75 trillion social spending bill. The progressives have said both bills must move in tandem to win their critical support, a position Pelosi affirmed Thursday. Well, this is somewhat unexpected
1: for me. When I heard that paid family leave had been dropped, I was hopeful that it might be put back in, but I did not think that it was likely. And I'm really, really happy that it seems to be back in the discussion. And I would love to see the House of Representatives pass a $1.75 trillion reconciliation bill that includes paid family leave and send that to the Senate because It hits the number that Joe Manchin talked about. It doesn't incentivize moving away from coal, which was a deal breaker for Joe Manchin. It's something that everyone supports. And there's really no reason for him or Kyrsten Sinema to kill the president's signature legislation because it includes paid family leave. So hopefully they can get this thing done. They really need to get it done or they're screwed for the midterms also.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, like can you point to anything Congress has done since the American rescue plan. I mean, not really. I love the idea of putting cinema and mansion to the coals and saying, here's a 1.75 trillion social spending bill. Are you going to be the ones that basically tell the American people no paid family leave and giving
1: the Republicans cover being against it. That's also dumb. Manchin and Cinema should get behind paid family leave because swing voters want it, Republicans want it. It's
0: good politics. Missouri Forum for Democratic Senate Hopefuls. On Wednesday, Democrats seeking the nomination for U.S. Senate in Missouri made their pitches on the path to victory next year in the deep red state. In between answering questions on China and climate change, some said a populist message focused on economic issues could win over more working-class voters. Others frame their campaigns as chipping away at the massive inroads Democrats need to make after losing statewide power precipitously in the past decade. This isn't going to be a state that we're going to be able to flip by
1: advertising at people in social media. We have to get to know people. We have to be there, said Spencer Toter, a St. Louis businessman. That's the principle of my campaign. Lucas Kuntz, a Marine Corps veteran who lives in independence, said his message of reducing corporate influence in politics could help deliver a win. Kuntz received national attention for his commentary this year on the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and notably outraised every candidate in the race, Democrat and Republican, in the third quarter
0: of this year. Former Afton State Senator Scott Sifton said he would focus on, quote, persuadable suburban battlegrounds, such as his old South St. Louis County district, where he won competitive races in 2012 and 2016. Sifton is the only Democratic candidate in the U.S. Senate race who has actually held elected office. We need to compete everywhere,
1: and Democrats need to do better everywhere to win. Other candidates include Air Force veteran Jewel Kelly, activist Tim Shepard, and community college professor Dr. Gina Ross. There was little mention of Republican opponents by name, though candidates criticized the GOP for what they called divisive rhetoric on issues like critical race theory. They also all criticized their own party's moderate senators, Kyrsten Sinema of Arizona and Joe Manchin of West Virginia, for opposition to parts of President Joe Biden's ambitious social spending proposal. Austin voters can save themselves. In local elections this week, Austin voters humiliated a GOP-aligned Save Austin Now PAC Soundly defeating a proposed police staffing initiative by a greater than two to one margin. Had the proposition passed, Austinites would be on the hook for an annual 50 to 100 million dollars in
0: increases to the Austin Police Department budget, which is already at historically high levels. And thanks to new state laws against defunding the police, the spending would have been locked into the city budget in perpetuity. The cost, which formed the messaging centerpiece of the No Way on Prop A campaign, would require drastic cuts to other city services as APD already consumes about 40% of the city's tax-supported general fund, which pays for parks, libraries, and public health as well as fire and emergency medical services.
1: No Way on Prop A built one of the largest and most diverse groups in the history of Austin politics, said campaign manager Laura Hernandez-Holmes, a veteran local Democratic operative. Together, our coalition exposed the truth about Prop A by cutting through the persistent lies
0: from Republican front group Save Austin Now. All but one of Austin's city councilors pushed back vocally against Prop A from the start, citing the huge financial strain it would have put on city services. And significantly, Austin CFO Ed Van Enu's eye-popping cost estimates were included in the ballot language over the objections of Save Austin Now, which the group took all the way to the Texas Supreme Court.
1: This is a cool story of voters really making their voices heard. It's just very cool,
0: I think. Hey there, folks. Hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we are a 100% listener-supported family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, the Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week, where host Adam Summer interviews folks of interest from around the Midwest. On any given week, he could be chatting up a politician, farmer, scientist, you name it. Included in that show is the Talking Politics section, where our panel of experts dig deep into elections, legislation, and public policy. On Wednesdays, the focus shifts to a rotating cast of special reports. This week, our resident science teacher, Nick Linky comes back with a story for the Delta, where he recounts his family's further struggles surrounding COVID-19. So, folks, check us out throughout the week. We'd love to have you. And now, the lightning round. Lightning round. Parson versus the hack attack. The story continues. Missouri Governor Mike Parson once again took aim at his new arch nemesis, reporter Josh Renaud of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Renaud, of course, is the person who notified the state of a security flaw on one of its websites, only to be attacked and threatened, going on a couple weeks now by his own
1: state's governor. Parson responded to the revelation by labeling Renaud a hacker and vowing to seek criminal prosecution. In a TV interview with Scott Fawn, a longtime Parsons supporter, the governor said the criminal investigation he ordered to be conducted by the Missouri State Highway
0: Patrol is still ongoing. Parson claims he doesn't understand why Renaud was even looking for the security flaw. And even though the reporter informed the state of the problem. Farm to school funding flows. 48 learning institutions
1: throughout the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania are about to receive funding from the Department of Agriculture's Farm to School Grant Program. The program annually awards a total of $500,000 to Pennsylvania school districts, charter, and private schools for projects that encourage students in grades K-5 through to learn more about local food systems and take an active role
0: in shopping and eating locally. Awards are given in amounts of up to $15,000 for projects like developing the school's pollinator curriculum. Dr. Laura Jacob, superintendent of the California PA school district, says, We really want to help educate kids on how critical our bees are. Bees help us, and they're critical in agriculture agriculture is our number one industry in Pennsylvania. In the spring, we'll actually work with a local farmer who will provide us with some of her own queens to get us started. In Fayette
1: County, the East End Community Center is putting its grant money to use by planting a school farm and taking agriculture-themed field trips. We had the farm-to-school grant over the summer and it went really well, said Executive Director Steve Strange. The kids loved the hands-on assignments. It's one thing to talk about gardening, But when you can walk outside the building and pick the vegetables and taste the vegetables, see exactly how the entire process comes about. I don't know if there's any substitute
0: for that. School board wins and woes. In Denver local elections this week, two metro counties, Jefferson and Douglas, clearly headed in opposite directions with their school board votes. In Jeffco, a slate of candidates backed by the Jefferson County Education Association, all prevailed. But in Douglas County, where county commissioners dumped the Tri-County Health Department over objections about COVID-related safety restrictions and masking in schools, an extreme right-wing group swept the ballot box.
1: Capitol rioter who bragged she's definitely not going to jail is definitely going to jail. A Texas real estate agent who bragged that her blonde hair and white skin would keep her out of jail despite participating in the insurrection January 6th was sentenced to 60 days in prison on Thursday. On January 6th, according to the FBI, the rioter posted a number of videos to Facebook that showed her participating in the insurrection after taking a private plane to D.C. Even before heading to the Capitol, she shared a video of herself talking to a bathroom mirror and saying, We're going to go down and storm the Capitol. That's
0: why we came. And so that's what we're going to do. Prosecutors argued perhaps the most compelling need for specific deterrence arises from the defendant's misguided belief that she is above the law or at least insulated from incarceration. The U.S. District Judge Christopher Cooper seemed to agree. It's another one down. 645 to go, I
1: guess. This is a great beat. (laughs) Lock them up.
0: That's all the time we have. Thanks for joining us. If you have a story you feel we should look into, tweet us at the Heartland Pod. And now, newly available for the super fans out there, our official Podhead Club on Patreon.
1: Five Reviews a production of Midnap Media LLC. This week's episode featured reporting from Newsweek, Washington Post, Kansas City Star, Austin Chronicle, Missouri Independent, The Observer, Reporter of Washington County, Pennsylvania, Denver's Westward, and Rolling Stone. Remember to subscribe so you get this show and all our Heartland Pod offerings with new episodes released Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.
0: Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's Fly Overview. We'll see y'all next week.